Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory podcast. This episode, I'm really excited to finally have my friend Ed Miro on here. Uh, Ed's the perfect guest when it comes to this type of podcast because the main focus is trying to inspire and help others get started in cybersecurity. And Ed does a lot of mentoring, education, speaking at conferences, a lot of things to share and help other people. So I'm sure you all are going to get a lot of good out of this episode. So thanks for joining Ed. So thanks you thank you so much for for letting me come on your show here. I've been a big fan for a long time, and you know we've been friends for for a few years now. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a long time coming, and uh, I'm excited to help participate in your project. Yeah, appreciate it, and it's cool too to finally get to meet in person last year during DefCon. So hopefully we have more chances to to meet up in person. But that's you know one of the nice things about virtual though is. You know, you make some of these friends and when you finally meet in person, you've known each other for a while. So it's like, you know, it seems it's no different than, I mean, it's just like you've known this person forever and maybe even though it was virtual until, you know, you finally get to meet. I, I totally agree. And like the, the pandemic was really challenging for me as like a very social person, but I, I also grew up with the internet like a lot of us did. So having virtual friends, I don't really think of them as being any i think of them as real friends and like you said like seeing you at defcon we had been friends for a while online and i just just hey how's it going like it just felt like we had already built a lot of rapport and knew each other and yeah there's a lot of people i consider close friends that i only ever interact with online i think that's kind of cool it is kind of nice because i couldn't imagine what just think how narrow our world will be if we didn't have the internet and all these different platforms to connect with people because if I th- thought about my world, how many people would be in it, it would be so much smaller. But, you know, be able to have the internet, have these different social media platforms and, you know, kind of helps when it comes conference time. So, you know, with the pandemic, that was, you know, it was good to get back in person, but, you know, it was a prime opportunity to really get to do a lot of virtual speaking and, and really work on, you know, be able to share your content widely. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm a big advocate for speaking at conferences and um, speaking at meetups. And the pandemic was like a, a great opportunity, especially for new people who are thinking about getting into public speaking. You know, if, if you can find a virtual conference or any virtual meetups, you should uh, submit to speak at them. And it's a very easy way to get into public speaking. It's, you know, you feel like you feel less stage fright because it's just you by yourself and you can pretend like nobody's watching. And if you want to have notes or script out your talk, you can do that. And it's so much easier to, 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 to make the jump into public speaking uh, in a virtual setting. So yeah, I, I was a big, uh, big fan of uh, recommending people do that. And, you know, I know there are still a lot of conferences, like I'm involved with PancakesCon, 
And uh, that we're already planning the Pancakes Con 4. It's going to be fully virtual. So there's still, even though the pandemic is, I guess, quote unquote over, I don't, I'm not sure. But there's still a lot of opportunities for that for people who are, who are thinking about doing it. So yeah, I do think there's, good, there's some, there's some good. Yeah. Pancakes Con was fun and I enjoyed getting to speak there that year. And I remember, I think you yep. just introduced your, your talk. You took like a Jurassic Park kind of spin on things, wasn't it? Yeah, my talk was called Steganalysis and Stegosaurus. So the first, the technical part was on steganography. I'm a big like CTF crypto challenge sort of guy. I love puzzles and steganography is one of my like areas of expertise. And then I got to talk about Stegosaurus, the dinosaur. And I, I themed the entire talk on Jurassic Park. And I kind of, uh, that is like my favorite talk that I've ever done is that talk at Pancakes Con. So <laughs> that's the one I tell people to go check out. It's the, it was the most fun I ever had. It was very, very creative concept. Yeah. So, so yeah, why don't we take a step back here for some of the folks that may not know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of share your background and how you got started? Yeah, that sounds good. I love talking about myself. So I think that, that, that um, so I, I, I grew up in the, I was born in, in 1980. So I, I grew up, I was like a kid in the eighties and a teenager in the nineties, which in my opinion is, was the ideal, uh, time period to experience those things. So being a middle class white kid in America, we had a computer in our house and, uh, that's been like a huge privilege for me. So I grew up and I never really did any hacking or any type of, I, I messed around with a few things like back orifice or sub seven, you know, in the early 2000s. But I went to tech school uh, for computer networking. And this was during the time when you would see those commercials on TV, like, you know, what, what are you doing sitting at home? Why don't you go to school and, you know, get into computer networking. And now, now you see tech schools offering cybersecurity courses. So, but in those days, it was all about networking. So I went to school for that. I uh, got an associate's degree, started working for Earthlink, which is an old school ISP. I was doing dial-up tech support. That was my first job. Um, yeah, and then the past 20 years or so, I've worked in a lot of uh, different roles. So tech support, uh, help desk. I've worked for a handful of managed services providers. Um, I started getting into information security, cybersecurity about 10 years ago. Um, got involved with my local DEF CON group, which at the time was, uh, DC530, which is in Northern California in, in Chico. It's a small little college town near Sacramento. And, uh, yeah, my first con that I spoke at was called NORCON. It was, it was, we ran it there in Chico at our DC group. Uh, my first talk was on vehicle based surveillance which was ridiculous, but it was so much fun. I had a panic attack for the first five minutes on stage and I, I like narrated it to the audience awkwardly and it was a complete meltdown, but I got through it and I finished my talk, which people very politely said was good after that. And it, it was fun. I started applying to speak at other conferences. My first big talk was at DEFCON 27 in the SE Village. That was uh, crazy. I got to speak the same night as like Robin Dreek and a whole bunch of other like big names in the field. And the room was full of like 700 people. It was so crazy. Uh, but after that, I was asked by one of the local colleges in Northern California called Butte College 
by the by Linda Fisher. She runs the networking and the security department. And she asked me if I ever thought about teaching, which I hadn't because I only had an associate's degree. But she's like, well, you're going to teach CompTIA classes like Network Plus and Security Plus and Pentest Plus. And I was like, great. She's like, get the certs and uh, we'll get you onboarded. So I, I started teaching. I taught for about three years um, between two different schools, so Lake Tahoe Community College and Butte College. So taught all the CompTIA cybersecurity courses there. I coached the National Cyber League team for Butte College for like those three years. And yeah, it was, it was great. And uh, now I currently work for Arctic Wolf and I'm a technical trainer for their security services department. We're like the division that provides the the main like managed detection and response and managed risk and security awareness products. Yeah. So now I train at, and I moved out here to Pleasant Grove, Utah. And well I've been here since July and that's that's me in a nutshell. Well very cool. And interesting the getting into the education background. So if you really enjoyed uh I would would assume that you enjoy the education piece since that's kind of where you've moved Oh yeah. I mean, like, be, get, becoming a, an instructor was amazing. Like, I've always, like you said, I'm, I'm into mentorship. I want to help people get into the, the field, and I want to share my experience. And so I want to be able to give people, like, the tips and tricks that I've learned. And my, my first semester teaching, they offered an instructional skills workshop. So they taught us different, you know, they taught us about Bloom's taxonomy, and they taught us about the BOPS method. And and it was really awesome to learn all these like effective ways to like transfer knowledge and like share experience and, you know, wor working with students and seeing the, the one or two students who was really like sparked by what we were talking about. And I, I know you were also a college instructor, so you probably experienced this as well, but you know, those one or two people that just really get it and just really passionate, like that, that like makes a huge difference. And getting to see my students get certified and land jobs and do really well. Like I spent many years promoting myself and wanting to do talks and be well known. And uh, once I discovered how much better it feels to see people that you mentor and that you guide succeed, like that kind of like changed everything for me. So well, I still still do like to get involved in the community and help out with conferences. And I have actually submitted a couple CFPs this year because I've kind of missed being on stage and doing some public speaking. I really do get much more out of helping people now than than I, than I ever realized was was possible. But but one of the good things of, of the helping people, like you wanting to speak at conferences, the good thing about that is getting the exposure because you. You run into people in the audience that are trying to get into security, or maybe they're kind of new to it, be able to connect with them and find more people to help. So one of the definitely the benefits. Oh yeah. Like when I do a talk and I get that message on LinkedIn, or I get the email from somebody who my, you know, what I said really spoke to them. That's like, that's like what it's all about for me. And, you know, like I'm at a point too, where. I started doing talks and my focus was on social engineering and physical security. Those are the two areas in cybersecurity that I consider myself a subject matter expert. And it's been tough lately to really want to push, you know, social engineering content when 
you know, certain things happen and certain people are, you know, part of the community. And, you know, now I'm at this point where like, I've kind of like, I kind of think of social engineering on this like different level beyond what most people are interested in. Like you, you think about someone's going to give a talk on social engineering. You know, most people want to hear about phishing emails or pretexting or these different ways to, you know, how, how to, how to do a vision call or how to get someone to, to, to take an action. And like, that's all fine and well, but I, through my, through my talks and through my research and through the studies that I've done, like I kind of see social engineering on a whole nother like plane of existence now, which is like, there is like this surface level and you think of, you think of like, you know, getting people to take an action influence tactics like dr robert cialdini and, uh, and uh, all these ways to uh, you know influence and manipulate people and that, that's like that's one level of it but if you start to like look at things on a more like meta level social engineering is much more powerful than that and i'm writing a talk right now that hopefully gets accepted i've submitted it to blue team con and a few other places but the title is Social engineering, the ultimate adversary yourself. And I've found that like one of, one of the books, I'm going to go back a little bit here and I hope you don't mind me ranting about this, but I love no, talking about all. this. Love and so one of the books that I recommend during any of the webinars or talks is how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. It was written in 1937. A lot of people are cringing and groaning right now that I have recommended this book because everyone has probably read it or thinks that they know what it's all about. And it is a very old book and some of it is a very dated and very challenging. But if you really dig into that content, you see that Carnegie wasn't teaching people how to trick people or how to con people. Like Carnegie was teaching people how to just be really good people who treat other people well, you know, they smile, they remember people's names, they focus on the other person. Like if, if, if this was, if I was social engineering you, I wouldn't be doing all the talking right now. I would just be focusing on you and I would be redirecting the conversation back to you. And a, a lot of what makes an effective social engineer isn't like a TTP or like a you know, a technique or, or a con or, or a specific pretext. And that's what people kind of want to hear about when you do have a talk about social engineering is they want to know how to do the thing. But what I'm more into now is like, why don't we learn to develop ourselves into good people, good friends, good colleagues, you know, learn how to network, learn how to help out and just be an amazing person that people want to be influenced by or want to listen to and and to help out so like i'm completely like open and honest about the fact that i'm using social engineering because i've defined social engineering to be much broader than what most people think and i think just being a decent human being who treats people good is social engineering but it's completely not malicious at all it's just part of the human condition and the fact that we're a tribal species and you know i think some of the best social engineers aren't really trying to social engineer people but they are just trying to be the best version of themselves that they can be and you know you don't need to use any type of like malicious techniques to influence people or to get people to take any in action just be a good person be a good leader 
and it just it just comes naturally. Yeah, that's that's true. Because so many so many times, if someone likes you, they're more likely to do something they dislike you. And it's interesting the concept you mentioned of how to do that, just being a better person, communicating with people more. It's really more of leveraging persuasion and less mm-hmm. less uh, leveraging manipulation. Yeah, and it's like like Carnegie talks about. You have to have a sincere interest in other people. And so like that right there is like, it's really telling about what the philosophy is behind some of this like foundational material. It's like, you don't pretend, I'm not pretending to like you, Phil. Like I actually do like you and I find you fascinating and, you know, I find you interesting and I apply that to all of the interactions that I have throughout the day. It's like, if I go to pick up my mail at the UPS store and the person behind the counter has something, they're wearing something interesting, or I notice something interesting about them. Like, I'm going to share that comment with them because I want to have a good interaction. I want to make them feel good and I want them to like me, but it's like, it has to be sincere. And like, there, there's this like concept where the human, there's like the human brain is aware of so much more than you're consciously aware of. And women will, recognize the fact that they get gut feelings about people but they're not really sure why they get that gut feeling and the reason we get gut feelings about people is because there's incongruencies between the body language or the nonverbals or something about the person and and the and the incongruency between what they are portraying and what they're saying so like someone who is using social engineering negatively or they're trying to con people or they're just taking these techniques and trying to weaponize them. Like eventually those people always get discovered because they may be saying the right things and trying to show you the right nonverbals, but your brain on a subconscious level can recognize that those two things are not congruence and you will get a gut feeling. And, and women get this a lot dealing with men because men are good at saying the right things and they know exactly how to get what they want. But the women and other, you know anyone has this ability, but your subconscious recognizes things that you're not conscious of. And you know, if I feign interest in someone or I just use social engineering in in a in a, in a slimy way, and the reason a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to Carnegie is, you know, most people have heard of it because of like sales training. You know, used car salesmen will try to use these techniques, but it only works if it's sincere. And while you can get you can get so far by doing it in a negative way, eventually it comes to light. Eventually, people will see you for who you are. So I I, I really don't recommend people get into social engineering because they want to try to use it to gain power or you know gain a job. You know, eventually people are going to call you out for your bullshit. And you know, if you're not sincere, if you're not honest, like it's not going to work. I mean, it'll work for a little while. But eventually, people are going to see it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you mention that because I, a, a good friend of mine and the founder of of Dallas Hackers Association, he actually kind of really got away from social engineering because he's been a pen tester for like twenty six years or so now, and he used to do a lot of social engineering. But he just really didn't feel good about some of the techniques trying to manipulate people, so he really yeah. declines those type of engagements anymore. So it's so kind of your way of doing it. It seems a little more ethical, and and you're kind of. When you take that approach, you're, you're learning to build relationships, which is, is really good. You know, you're able to, to reach people, people are able to trust you more. And just sometimes just being a good person 
as you mentioned, talking to people, you go to restaurants or different places and kind of get them to connect with you. And, and it's just, things are just so much better. And there's ways you can help people more. There was a, a case where I went into a Denny's back several years ago, short, the, the day that Charlottesville stuff happened, I was in Denny's and it was a young, uh, black man by himself sitting diagonally away. We kind of started a conversation because a lot of times I go places, I will start conversations with people just to be friendly. And I like meeting people, making friends. And we're talking all this time. And at the end, he said, thanks for the conversation. You know, I actually had a buying his, he was a recent college grad and just to be nice, I bought his, his lunch or whatever we're leaving. He said, yeah, I'm glad we spoke. And I didn't really click on, you know, really click when I thought about later on, I get in the car and then the news is on. They're still talking about the stuff in Charlottesville. You know, someone at that point needed to know, needed someone to talk to, to help them through a tough time. And, and it just really felt good to be able to do that. Totally. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at with like social engineering. So these days I, I don't, I I may use the, may use the phrase social engineering because it's a, it's a buzzword and I want my talks to get selected, but really it's, it's a bait and switch. Like if you've seen any, if you, if. I ran a, a a workshop at Wild West Hacking Fest last year called uh, SE for Introverts. So a, a lot of people showed up and I think they expected to to learn how to craft a phishing email. And, you know, all, all that stuff is like very easy to do. Like I can teach you to run GoFish or Metasploit and, you know, fire out some of this stuff. And I can teach you how to use, you know, fear of missing out or, you know, um, any, any of the other like, you know, principles of influence. Um, and, and that's all very like, it's, it's very easy to do. It's not, it's not very interesting to me, like applying these concepts to ourselves. Like the reason I titled my talk, like social engineering, the ultimate adversary yourself, because I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize how you can use some of these techniques to also change your own brain. Like the, the human brain is, is it's kind of stupid where like, the placebo effect works even when subjects know that it's a placebo. Like, how does that make any sense? You know, and there's other things like daily affirmations. You know, everyone thinks of like Saturday Night Live with like Stuart Smalley, like looking in the mirror and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm worth it and I deserve it and people like me. But you know, like that, that actually does work. Like if you, if you use daily affirmations and positive self-talk, like you can influence your own brain and you know that you're doing it to yourself and it will still work. Like that's the stuff that I'm more interested in now, like the more higher level things. And yeah, how I, I, I want to, my talk is going to, it's going to explore some of these concepts, hopefully if it gets accepted, but really what I want people to do is to understand that like you can get good at socializing, you can get good at communicating with other people. But there's only one way to really do that, and that's to practice. So for you and I, when we go out, we have conversations with random people. We are always like, you know, practicing our skill set and we're confident and we have a lot of experience. So that's easy for us. And I recognize that in our field, a lot of us are introverts. And I used to be an introvert when I was younger. And it wasn't until I took like public speaking class and I did student government in college and you know, I started doing talks and, you know, when I first, when I gave my first talk, like I mentioned earlier, I had a panic attack on stage. And now 
I can go up in front of an audience and actually enjoy being up there. I don't know how, I don't know if you're one of those people. I know a lot of speakers, no matter how long they do it, they still uh, get very nervous and still get stage fright, but I enjoy it at this point. Like to me, it's like exposure therapy. The more you face your fears, the, the smaller and smaller they get. And I do want people to, to experience that. And even if it's just on a, on a micro scale through daily interactions with other people, just to enhance their lives. So. I've kind of like figured out and, and I'm not the first person to figure this out, but I have made the observation that a lot of like a lot of trainings, especially when it comes to like social engineering training, it's very similar. And this is going to sound bizarre at first, but if you take an advanced social engineering class, you fly out to wherever and you're taking an in-person class, part of what they're going to do is they're going to take you to like a mall or they're going to take you to a public place. And they're going to give you assignments to go talk to people and try to elicit information. Silly things, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your birthday? What's this? What's that? And I noticed, and I'm not the only one that noticed this, so I'm not claiming credit, but it's exactly the same as like, the, I don't know if you remember back in the early 2000s, there was this whole movement, like pickup artist movements where people were writing books about how to approach people, how to date, how to, you know, talk to girls at bars and there were these like gurus who were taking people out to bars and <laughs> you'd spend thousands of dollars to do these trainings. And, and all they're doing is telling you, okay, Phil, I want you to go up to this girl and say, hi, my name is Phil. How are you tonight? Or hi, my name is Phil. I really like your shoes. Something really benign. And, you know, students will be like, what the hell is this? Like I'm spending thousands of dollars and you're just taking me on telling me to go say hi and tell them my name. And it's similar to advanced social engineering training, or it's similar to sales training. And like the, it's kind of an open secret is that you're not really paying to go learn some tactic or some like pickup line or some secret way to enlist information from people. What you're paying for is the experience and like being forced to go have multiple interactions and you're building confidence just through sheer experience alone. So I kind of want to design like a training program that people can do independently where they don't like have to go spend thousands of dollars just to be taken to a mall and forced to interact with people until they become confident and comfortable. So that, that's another, that's another big part of the, the talk is going to be how to get people to have enough experience interacting with other people that they start to become more confident and they they're less worried about being rejected or having a negative interaction. And, you know, it's just sheer experience alone that gives you the confidence that you need to be proficient at, at most of these things, and namely in my, you know, instance here, social engineering. So I think just being comfortable talking to people, having social interactions, communicating effectively, like that confidence comes through experience. And you don't need to spend thousands of dollars to be forced to go have experiences. You can just do that yourself. <clears throat> Very cool. Very cool. It's just mention those skills in general, you know, how he relates to the Dale Carnegie book, how that uh, those skills are important for everyone. So, I mean, that's, that's even a whole idea for training for you just to teach people to communicate. Yeah. And, and I really love the lesson, the thing you share, because there's a lot of people listening that probably think I could never speak. But, you know, you had a panic attack your first time and now you would never think in a million years you were ever nervous 
speaking. Yeah. So that's a great lesson for people to, to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you, if you've ever, if you, if you, if in your mind, if you're listening to this, you thought, I would like to see what it's like to do a talk. Like, first of all, I think you should apply at all the conferences that you can go to. And if you are nervous and it's your first time, almost every conference that I'm involved with, and I'm also a CFP reviewer for Diane, Diana initiative. And they, and most of these conferences have mentorship programs that will pair you with somebody like us who has a lot of experience speaking. And we'll kind of like hold your hand through the whole process as a new speaker. And, you know, you can reach out to me and, and a lot of people in our community. If you're a new speaker and you want some feedback or you want to learn some, some ways to, to, to even just even how to submit a CFP, you know, correctly. And yeah, it's, it's, I think you should do it. And, uh, yeah, don't, don't be afraid because once you do it, you're going to think back to how nervous you were and how you were so afraid to take that, that plunge. And yeah, yeah, you're going to wish you had done it much, much earlier. So if, if you have that desire and I know part of the focus of this podcast is new people getting into the industry and I will consistently give the advice that worked for me, which was all, all I did was start getting involved with my local DEF CON group. And when they had a little conference, and I think small conferences are the best places to get your feet wet when it comes to like volunteering and doing talks, because not only is it more, is it a higher percentage that you'll get accepted, but you'll be less nervous. Like, even though I had a panic attack during my first talk, you know, there wasn't a huge room of people <laughs> that witnessed my shame. So it's all good. And then, you know, I, you know, I started building experience. And uh, once I got, once I did that, I started volunteering at other conferences and, you know, I started submitting. And, you know, I know a lot of people, not everybody wants to be a public speaker, but you can write white papers or you can, you know, you can submit to do a tool demo or, you know, there's a lot of conferences are looking for like entry level techniques because there are a lot of new people who are going to conferences. So if you think your, your idea might be too basic, I, I would just like not worry about that because there's always like beginner tracks at most conferences. So, you know, the first, some of the first content I ever created was for Hacker Public Radio, which is a podcast that anyone can record a podcast or on any topic that's relevant to hacking. You can send it to the guys and they'll publish it for you. So like there are ways to like, you know, to get your feet wet, to start contributing to the community. Because if you're like me, you realize that everything you know, you learned from the community. So it's good to give back. And yeah, I say if you're trying to get into cybersecurity, just learn as much as you can, you know, start a blog, you know, start a GitHub's page and just write content that's geared to people at your level. Like if you're just getting into cybersecurity and you're taking security plus, you know, write a blog about the CIA triad, write a blog about, well, blog about defense in depth, like write a, write a blog about why people should use a password manager, R write a blog about multi-factor authentication. There are tons of people who will find value in this like basic content. So you don't have to like reverse engineer like crazy, like, you know, applications and you don't have to like have your OSCP and be like doing elite hacks to like create content to contribute to the community. Every generation that joins us is they're new. They have the same, they need to learn all this stuff. So just create content out at your level, you know, just write a blog, you know, have a medium page, whatever, whatever, whatever works for you. 
then just start contributing to the community. Start getting involved. Like if you want to get involved in the community, you can volunteer at most conferences and they will gladly take your volunteership, you know, and you'll get to meet people. You'll get to network, you know, be active on LinkedIn, you know, become friends with people, help out. It, it's, it's not really that complicated in my opinion. And it's fun to volunteer at conferences. And even if you're not going to be a speaker, just to be like a goon or somebody there that's just like help out and move things around, and, you know, it, it's all valuable. And I think it's much more accessible than most people realize. One of the things I say about volunteering too, because when I was teaching at the, uh, the community college and some of the people I've mentored, you know, one of the things I share with them is volunteering. And you could probably attest to this. If you want to accelerate your connections in the community, Volunteering at one conference will do more for you than probably going through, I don't know, months worth of meetups. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, you want to be connected to like the people in your, in your, even in your local community. So if you have like a B sides in your town or within driving distance, or you have a DEF CON group or 2600 meetup, like just start getting involved. If they have events, just, just be there, be available, do whatever you can and. You know, if you spend enough time and, you know, you volunteer enough, you're going to meet all the, the people and, you know, they're going to get to know your skill set and they're going to trust you and they're going to like you. And, you know, when jobs come up and you need recommendations, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have as many friends as possible. <laughs> Good advice. But we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share before we close out the episode? Uh, you know, I... Just want to thank you again for having me on. Um, I do run a an official DefCon contest, and we're coming back for our second year. It's called Octopus Game. Uh, last year we ran it with much success. It was an obvious ripoff of Squid Game. It was a <laughs> it was a battle it was a battle royale, and uh, it was so much fun. And uh, this year we were accepted to come back again for a second year. So the if you participated last year, please sign up again this year. Um, I can't really, I don't want to give any specific details about it because it's kind of going to be a surprise. Last year it was a battle royale. This year it's going to be completely different. Um, the only thing I'll say is just if, if you've never heard of an alternate reality game, Google that and you'll kind of get an idea of what we're thinking about to really make this year's contests like extra special. I'm, I'm really into crypto challenges and alternate reality games and CTFs. So I'm thinking about going crazy this year and uh, making it something special. So check out Octopus Game. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. Cool. I look forward to, to, to seeing what that's all about this year. So that's cool. Yeah. And congratulations on being invited back. So that's that's good right. news. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining. It was great to have you on. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if anyone out there is listening and, you know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, um, mm -hmm. shoot me questions. I'm always down to give advice or recommendations on how to get into the community or if I hear of any jobs that are hiring, you know, I work for Arctic Wolf. We're one of the few security companies that are hiring right now amongst a lot of companies going through layoffs. So, you know, if I could do whatever I can to help people get into the the to the industry or to advance their their career that's kind of what i'm all about these days so just don't hesitate to reach out awesome thanks again for joining and, and keep up the good work i love what you're doing for the community you too sir thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode
hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.